on our internet. And so I'm going to start right back over. I won't start with the the joke. No. Um, still in the intro though. The answer of the questions, and then at the end of our Matthew account, it said, "I leave this house desolate." This house is going to remain desolate now. There has been quite the judgment by Jesus. I mean, a devastating judgment. And he's been talking about what? He's been talking about the temple, which is a symbol of Israel. Uh, You remember that he cursed the fig tree, and that was the curse of the nation. And so, the temple is related to this. As he went to the temple, then what did he do? He tore it up. Now, there's a proper word for that. He cleansed the temple, but he made havoc of it because they had put things in there that were not holy and were not meant to be in that court. So he cursed the fig tree, cleansed the temple. He made another judgment here on the leaders. And here is the judgment. He predicts the destruction of the temple. And he tells this to the disciples, namely, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Now, what's going through the disciples' minds? What's going through their minds as Jesus has been saying these things for the last few days? He's been saying certain teachings that have been incredible for the last three years. I mean, they have been stunned. I think shocked. They're reeling now about what's going to happen to the temple. The temple is the very symbol of what Judaism and the nation is about. And they have gotten the idea that this is a corrupt system. Jesus has made that very clear. They're they're getting that idea. And now they're just turned upside down as if they haven't been already for three years. And what He's going to do is going to tell them and us sitting here today what's going to happen between His resurrection and the time that He comes back. So I think that is rather incredible that He would mark this out for them, a warning. And then also, it answers questions to us. What is going on in this world? After the temple is destroyed, history will be marked by relentless trouble. And it's going to escalate. It's not going to get better, but it's going to get worse. Now, this is something to say when we're a church that likes to revolve around the gospel, the good news, and here we are telling about how things are going to get worse. It sounds like doom and gloom, doesn't it? But we're just going along with what Jesus says here. I'm not making this up. He says this. And so if He says it, we have to say it. Um, sometimes whenever you have doom and gloom, people can kind of be turned away and they'd rather hear bright, sunshiny days and everything's going to get better. But if I said that, I would be a false prophet. And that's what false prophets did in the Old Testament. They said whatever the people wanted to hear, whatever the king wanted to hear. And, uh, of course, the true prophets were then killed because they told what was really going to happen. Well, Jesus is telling us about this and this is going to escalate as far as problems are concerned in epic proportions. Life on this earth is marked by trouble. Man, Dennis, tell us the good news. I am. (laughs) That's why we sang songs that had good news. And there's good news here as we go through this passage. Alright? Let's uh, stand. I'll give you a chance to break for a moment. Okay? And we're going to read...
and honor of the Lord, His very Word. And it's in Mark 13, verses 1 through 13. As he's going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful things and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he is sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in My name, saying, I am He, and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place. But that's not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But, you, be on your guard, disciples. For they will deliver you to the courts and you'll be flogged. In the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And help us to be able to understand a passage that is difficult in a lot of ways. Yet you want us to understand as much as we can, but we know we can't get into the very nth degree of your mind. But please get into ours and help us learn better who you are by your Holy Spirit and your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get into this Word here. First couple of verses of dealing with destruction. That's what we start with here today. Destruction. I've got good news, guys. This is good news. Everything that God does, it's all part of His plan. And ultimately, it's all good, isn't it? He's working out. You know, it's, it's like um, He's putting together a puzzle. He puts a piece here and a piece there. We don't see that whole puzzle together. But when we see a piece here and a piece there, and all of a sudden some of it starts coming together, it starts making more sense, doesn't it? The puzzle is coming together. Okay, as He is going out of the temple... One of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. Alright. They've been at the temple. And some would say this is Tuesday. Others would say this is Wednesday. No big deal. It's alright. It's okay. We know Thursday they're going to have a Passover. But at any rate, he's already done his instructing in the temple now, right? That's where he has been. He, uh, He said his last words really to the scribes the Pharisees, Sadducees, the hypocrites. 
the elders. He's already said what He's going to say to them. That's it. And basically, He said everything that He's going to say to the crowd as He gave a warning about their religious leaders. Now, He's basically going to be teaching who? The disciples. This time, the inner group, the four. Sometimes it's Peter, James, and John. Andrew is in with this group. All right, but that's basically you basically have about three different groups in the disciples, and some are closer than others in that you see them more often with Jesus in uh, private times, time of prayer in Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. Right? Well, here they are. Where are they at? They're at the temple. Been there all day. Been there a long time. And I'm sure they're probably getting pretty tired. Time to go. Going to go up to up to the Mount of Olives and east of there. Um, disciples were not from Jerusalem. They didn't know this place that well. I mean, they knew of it. They'd been there. They'd come to the feast, and they'd been there coming with Jesus and such. And probably as as young boys, they'd been there too. Uh, but they didn't spend their time there that much. And they are amazed. Even if you live there, you'd be amazed by this building. <coughs> it's an incredible building. They are in awe of this magnificent structure. They've been there all day, and as they walk out of it and they look up at it, they are just uh, going, wow, this is something. It was a wonder of the world, folks. This was a wonder of, of the world, and one of them makes a remark to Jesus about the sheer beauty of this building. Um, and it was done over the course of decades. I think something like uh, maybe 60 years or something in that vicinity. Uh, Josephus gives us some really good insight on this building. Josephus is a historian that lived at that time. During the time of Jesus, a man walked around living just like Jesus walked around living. Jesus is God and man. This man is just man, but he's a historian and he's just Jewish. He doesn't ever become a Christian. But he does report some things. And sometimes he reported a few things about Jesus. But this time he reports about the temple. And this is a pretty good writing, I think, descriptive here of getting us a good picture of what it is. I could have gotten some pictures and brought them off the Internet and showed you. I've, I've done that before of what a model you know, uh, is. They've got a model there in Jerusalem and, it, and it really, you magnify that up and it looks like the real place. And it's probably very close, very accurate. But this morning, I, uh, I'll just have you use your imaginations. Okay. He describes it like this. Now, I'm going to quote this, okay? The outward face of the temple, in its front, lacked nothing that was likely to surprise either men's minds or their eyes, for it was covered all over with plates of gold of great weight. And at the first rising of the, fun, uh, uh, of the sun reflected back a very fiery splendor. And it made those who forced themselves to look upon it to turn their eyes away, just as they would have done at the sun's own rays. You couldn't look at it. It was so bright, he said. This temple appeared to strangers when they were at a distance, like a mountain covered with snow. For as to those parts of it that were not gilt, they were exceedingly white. It was white, bright white, and dazzling gold, gold-plated and silver. It was remarkably dazzling. I want you to get that picture because that's why they're asking this question. No one would ever forget this temple. 
It's overlaid with gold, silver, shimmering white. If you came in there of a morning approaching uh, the, the city, you come from, let's say, uh, a certain direction and you looked at it, you couldn't look at the building because the morning sun reflects on that and it was too bright. It was incredibly bright. In the evening, and almost the same kind of glory, strikingly beautiful building, okay? Overwhelmed by it. What a place to visit. I wouldn't have mind seeing it. Would you like to have seen it too? It was made of limestone bricks. And it's recorded that strangers, as they approached that, they, they thought it looked like a snow-capped mountain. These bricks that they had, these stones made of lime, some of them were as big as a boxcar or a bus. That's how big these stones were. That would be quite a sight, wouldn't it? And you wonder, how in the world did they ever get those in there? They're still there today, some of the stones as far as the foundation is concerned. So you could, you could actually see those. Some of you have seen that. It's quite impressive. But the temple is more than just that building. The temple actually reflected the nation and its relationship with God what it stood for. The symbol of the nation and the very presence of God was where God resided in that temple. If we look in Psalm 78, 68 and 69, Psalm 78, 68, 69, pretty long chapter, isn't it? Talking about God choosing the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, Mount Zion, which he loved, and he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he has founded forever. Build his sanctuary. Of course, ultimately, we know the temple is God himself, but there was an earthly temple to resemble that. Well, people were here. Jesus had stated in Matthew. That this house is now desolate. That's still there. That's one of the, the last things that he said. This house is desolate. Now, you're, the, you're a disciple. Put yourself into that, that era. Put yourself as a disciple. This, this is a beautiful building. Look, look, Jesus, as they're walking away. They're amazed by it. They are seeing Him as the King, the Messiah, as, as they should. They're seeing Him as Deity. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter had confessed. And they're still trying to put it together. The King, the Temple. Oh, it makes sense, right? This is the place where we're going to reside. You know, we've been in Galilee for these last three years. Now we're coming to the big place. This is it. He's made his triumphal entry. I don't know what he means by him saying that he's going to have to be crucified and then on the third day rise. I don't know what that means, but I know he's the king. I think this is it. I think this is the time. That's what they're thinking. That's what's going through their minds. They're not ready for what they're about to hear. You already know. We've read it, haven't we? They're not ready for this temple to come down and um, where it talks about the stones will not, uh, as it's torn down, will, not be left, uh, will be left upon another. The judgment, and I want to tell you, here 
confirms the deity of Christ. This is a judgment that is a prediction. It's a prophecy. Before it happened. This is pre-written history, folks. We can look at it and see it as history. It did happen. And I think everybody would understand 70 A.D. The temple went down. The city was burned. The temple, everything came crushing down. Just like Jesus said. I mean, okay, it's one thing to take a city and maybe burn and ravish some places, but Jerusalem, especially this temple with all the gold, why would you, why would you burn that gold down? You know, I mean, uh, the Romans and Titus, they, they did this. In 70 A.D., it's a fact. And Jesus has been saying all along, this is an empty religion. It's worthless. Its time is done. There does not need to be a temple where there are sacrifices. The Jews today cannot sacrifice. Ask them how do they get their sins forgiven, folks. <coughs> That's where they got their sins forgiven, or at least that was a symbol of it. But Christ crucified is where the sins are forgiven now. That was the sacrifice. The temple did not to be not to be needed, and it was something that Jesus has to pronounce, and he's telling it now to the disciples very clearly, and is literally fulfilled. Not one stone should be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. It was literally filled, fulfilled to the very jot and tittle. You could say that, yeah, the temple's coming down. But can you imagine these huge limestone bus, the size of a bus coming down and then saying this, Not one stone will be left upon another. All scattered out. Done. Man, Titus, the Roman general, he knew about this gold and he wanted to salvage that temple. He knows better. This gold there. Plates of gold all over that temple. Not only in the edifice, but you go inside and there is gold, gold, gold. Think about where the the Holy of the Holies was at. That's, that's gold in there, folks. The Ark of the Covenant and all that, you know, that's where it had been at one time. But the decor is incredible. And so that's what he had in mind and he was going to make sure that uh, the soldiers knew that. Well, the soldiers beat him to the punch. You know what they did? They set that temple alight. They burned it to the ground. Everything was just ravaged. What happened to the gold then? Well... Titus, the general, comes in and goes, Oh, you guys, boy. You know, they had a blast doing this, I'm sure. The gold had to be melted. So it ran down the edifice of the temple and to every nook and cranny into the joints and into the cracks when it's burned. And that's where it went. How are you going to get this out? Well, the general Titus orders his soldiers to get out of the remaining parts here, brick by brick, to salvage this gold. So there are the stones being turned, moved. It was fulfilled right down to the very minutest detail. Not one stone left upon it. The temple had the foundation wall. Like I said, it, it is there. You can get an idea what it would have been like. Prophecy is how God authenticates Himself. 
One of the best proofs that we have today, even today, of course, is the Word of God. And in these accounts, which were done very accurately, written by people who gave up their lives because of the Gospel, because of Jesus Christ, they gave up their lives to go, get, to go bring the Gospel out to people. And they could have been killed. They were. But they knew that the message was true. And this prophecy here, just this one, I think it's incredible that he's saying that's going to happen. Now, he doesn't give us the day that it happened. But it happened about 40 years later. This is about somewhere around 30 A.D. And 40 years later, 70 A.D., many of these people were still living. The apostles here living, some of them. How can we know that God is here? That's what unbelievers would say. How can we know what He said was true? Well, do you know of anybody that would die for a cause that they know is a lie? They know is a lie? They might be convinced it is, but they gave up their life. They, they gave accurate accounts and uh, nobody could shut this Scripture down. Prophecy is God's stamp of authenticity. We have a lot to say when people say, well, how do you know what's in here is true? It goes back to Jesus Christ making a claim that He was God. Making a claim that He would die. Making a claim on the third day He would rise again. And He did. And it's put in these books and even in some outside accounts speak of a resurrection of this Jesus. People who weren't Christians. Josephus being one very possibly. Um, We know this is true, folks. And just because of this one prophecy, that's pretty incredible. But there are like 300 and some odd prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament uh, that are very clear. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension, coming back. All those things were foretold. Some of those things have been fulfilled where it tells what city He's going to be, when it's going to be. And here we have another one here about the temple. Something so big, so huge, so important, and it goes down. Well, that's the number one part. That's destruction. Then we go into deception in verses 3 through 6. They now are out of the temple area. They've gone across the ravine on the east side, gone up to the Mount of Olives, and now they're looking down upon the city and they're looking at the temple from there. They've been going, wow, Jesus, look, this is just wonderful. Isn't this incredible? Isn't this great? Jesus tells, well, it's all going to come down. Peter, James, John, and Andrew said, okay, um, they're looking at the temple. temple. Today, you don't see the temple there. It was destroyed in 70 AD. But what do you see? The Dome of the Rock. That's where the Arabs have made their temple. One of their temples. Um, Quite incredible. you got the gold dome up there. Nothing like what the temple was. Not at all. But you can look down there. You can kind of get an idea of what that would be as you look across. Probably some of you have seen them on videos and such. I don't know if anybody here has been there. But uh, definitely an incredible scene. This is what they're seeing. And they've just been talking about what Jesus has talked about. And you know what? This ever was so much in their minds. In Acts chapter 1. Okay, uh, let's fast forward here. Uh, Jesus has died, buried, rose. He's getting ready to ascend. In Acts 1, they still are wondering, 
went. Uh, what? So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, he's already resurrected at, at this time here in Acts, right? You know how movies do sometimes? They lose you. You know, you'll be in one time, and then you're over here in another time frame. Sometimes they give you in a dreamy thing, but if they don't give the dreamy thing, they go, wait a minute, how did we get from here to here? Right? Well, we just did there. Have you followed me so far, though? Death, burial, resurrection. He hasn't ascended yet, but he's getting ready to, and they're saying, okay, this must be the time, right, Jesus? And what do they say? That you're restoring the kingdom to Israel. Now, he doesn't say, oh, guys, don't you get it? We're not restoring the kingdom. No. He doesn't say, that's not going to happen. He just says about the time. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but in the meantime, you're going to receive power. See, they haven't gotten the Holy Spirit as far as the uh, Pentecost. It's coming up here in the next chapter, but has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and even in the remotest parts of the earth. Listen, you don't know when that's going to be, but there will be a restoring the kingdom to Israel. Interesting. There will be that. Jesus didn't say it's not going to. It's not going to happen. He, you know, he. I think he verifies that it is, but he says it's not for you to know when. Okay, Matthew twenty four three. Now, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us when will these things be? Right? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age?" Mark kind of puts it together. Um, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Basically the same, it seems like Matthew kind of puts it in three-question format there, but uh, it's okay. They're not just asking him when the temple would be destroyed, but you see here they're asking him about his return. Okay, uh, about the kingdom. All right, when, 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 is this, when the signs when is this going to be fulfilled? Just like in Acts, they were asking that later. It seems to me, at least in the minds of the disciples, the destruction of the temple coincided with the end of the age, as Matthew says, or the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled. They're putting that all together as in one time slot. Temple destroyed? Jesus, okay, if he does go, he says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back. Don't worry, right? So, okay, um, when? Is it going to be about when the temple is going to be destroyed? Is that what's going to happen? Well, I think this obviously, first of all, we can definitely say this refers to 70 A.D. Without a doubt, right? Because it's already happened in that sense. There's no doubt about that. But I think what is equally obvious as prophecies go farther usually into the future. And so one event can point to another event. When you go back to Daniel and the abomination of desolation that happened there, in a, it was a smaller temple then we have an abomination of desolation listed here. And we'll see that in our Mark passage, in our Matthew passage. It's definitely talking about, um, regardless of how you interpret it, it's definitely a foreshadow of another abomination of desolation. 
So uh, prophecy happens so often. Uh, you've been to Colorado, you've been where the mountains are at, and you see one mountain. You see a mountain range and you climb up that mountain. Guess what? You're up at the peak and you go, oh, there's more. And so you go up that and guess what? There's more. Well, in, in prophecy, that's how it so often works. Uh, interpreting, there's a few tips. And what we have to do is harmonize prophetic passages that are out of the Old Testament. And then if it has prophetic passages in the New Testament, it helps so often. Mark is writing to Roman Gentiles. Now, I have to apply hermeneutics here. Sorry to get into a, um, what, um, a seminary class here for a moment. But that's how we learn and um, learn further what, what God's Word will say. If he's writing to Roman Gentiles, now he is speaking this to the disciples, but he's also writing to Roman Gentiles, he wants them to understand if you're Gentiles, you don't understand the things of the Jews. Without the Jewish background, how are you going to be able to interpret this? So that biblical prophecy that we have here about 78 AD is rooted deep in the depth of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so in order to understand those future events in the Old Testament, we have to take a look also in the New Testament and combine those. Um, most of your scholars, and I'm saying regardless of what uh, pre-millennial or post-millennial, or well, maybe not post-millennial, amillennial, um, except for preterist, will say that this is an escalation. And, uh, and I'm talking about uh, scholars I've read who are reformed in their theology that are not even premillennial, will say that this is an escalation to the very end. So those are, those are helpful when you read other, uh, other really good scholars that you trust. And so when they're pointing to that was not only 70 A.D., but that is a picture of what will happen at its culmination. Here's what's going to happen during the time of the disciples, and here's how it's going to escalate as it goes further into the years of the, uh, the ages. And the, we look back at history. These things have, are just part of it. Uh, a lot of these things that uh, we'd be talking about are essentially Jewish. Um, but um, a lot of times, whenever we see prophecy, we see another thing. Take heed. Be watchful. Be alert. And that's the practical aspect of prophecy. It's not just something for our intellectual minds to be exercised and so that we can take guesses at when He's going to come back. But no, it's about an encouragement for us Christians to say, oh, okay, so this is what's part of life. Here's some of the things that go on. You know, life can deal a pretty rough hand. <laughs> and so, but when we look at it, and we see that Jesus is saying, hey, don't be afraid. It's okay. It's okay. It's very practical, isn't it? So there's two horizons that we want to make sure that we get on this. One near and one far, or otherwise you will tend to get messed up on it. The preterists say it all happened in 70 AD and nothing else there is future at all. It's all done. Matter of fact, there is nothing as far as prophecy is to done except for Christ to come back. And even some of those, and matter of fact, full preterism says He's already come back. And that's sad. And that's getting heretical. Matter of fact, the... the 
the other preterists will say that is heretical because they look to Christ coming back literally, physically. Not just a spiritual sense that He came back up in the clouds, but we're talking a physical second coming. And there are too many scriptures to uh, prove on that. I have to move on this. But um, this goes all the way to the consummation at the end of the age. Do you understand what preterists are doing? That was it. What kind of hope is that? What's that? He doesn't give us anything to even look to except, well, he's going to come back someday if you're a partial preterist. So I definitely do not take the preterist, the full preterist, or the uh, partial preterist view. Um, he has to come back, and there are certain things that happen through history that didn't happen at 70 A.D., and we will, we will have to see that in our Mark and our Matthew passage. Talking about the sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, then the heavens being opened, and the Son of Man coming in the clouds, sending forth the angels, gathering the elect from the four winds. Has that happened? If He did, I missed it. And he says every eye will see Him when He comes back. We're talking about that, that, that physical sense. And there are many others. Um, okay, what we want to do here now is look at the first thing that Jesus says. They've asked the question, right? Tell us when will these things be? Will it be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? When's the end of the age? They should ask why. Why are these things going to happen? Jesus began to say to them, okay, Here's this long discourse. Here's the longest answer in all the Bible. He's been giving answers, but none this long. Matthew 24 is even longer. Luke 21 also. It's long. Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Do not be led astray. Do not be mistaken. Take heed. Let's skip a few verses. Verse 9, look at this. But be on your guard. For they're going to deliver you up. Look at verse 23. It's the same kind of thing. But take heed. Behold, I've told everything in advance. Take heed, right? Verse 33. Take heed. Look at this, a double one. Keep on the alert. For you do not know the appointed time will come. Verse 35. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house has come. Why are these guys naming dates? Why are they doing that? Harold Camping was doing that, what, a couple years ago or so? It was all over the internet. You might have heard about it. He was telling them exactly a day is going to be. And whenever they say that, I go, oh boy. They're just delaying it that much longer. The more they just keep putting dates up, it's going to take out this long. I just kid. Verse 37, God's not going to do anything that's going to make them look right, right? What I say to you, I say to all, what does he say? Be on the alert. Here is our practical aspect of the day. You want to take something home? Well, this is something. Be on the alert. Stay watchful. Be on guard. I mean, it can happen any time. But live your life accordingly to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter when He comes back. If He comes back now, great. If He comes back next year, great. He very well could, and I'll never rule that out. But you know what? 
Things could delay. Things look like they're set up, but we don't know that at all. It could be another thousand years, another two thousand years. Sometimes I don't really tend to think that because I think that through every age, every everybody in the church has looked that he could come now, right? And that's what I think one of the biggest things that we need to give him. He could come now, and I never rule that out. And I, I favor the side that he could come back in our lifetime. I like that thought. But I look at the scripture and I say, well, it's possible, isn't it? It's possible. It sure could. Uh, many, many. Did you catch that? See to it, no one mislead you. Many will come into my name. And then he says, many are going to be deceived. Jesus is concerned for his followers. Do you know what? There's a real possibility they could be deceived. That's why he's saying, don't be deceived. Don't be misled because you can be misled. People have been misled, haven't they? It's a real possibility. I want to tell you something. Have you been in the Word of God lately? If you haven't, expect a visit from the enemy. And have you been in the Word of God? Expect a visit from the enemy. But you want to be prepared if you have the Word of God. Have you been in prayer? That's where our fighting is done. We must be in prayer. We must be giving the Gospel out. And then there is that fellowship thing. Being in church. It's a key element. Because if we've been in the Word and we've been in prayer, we're giving out the Gospel. The thing that encourages us to do all those things is when we meet together. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, which many of you are doing. Now, I'm saying that because it's out of Hebrews. But I don't know the case of, of people, but a lot of times that's happening and it's just, I'll be there whenever I want to be there and I won't be there when I won't. Seriously, that is sad. And I want to tell you something. That is where the enemy can make it harder on one than ever. Because once you take a coal out of the fireplace and you take it out of where there are other coals and put it by itself, that fire goes out. And I know probably most of you have heard that before. But I think that's a great illustration. And that's why we must be praying for many in our church who in the last two, three, four weeks, whatever it is, I think of that and I think, are they being alert? Are they being watchful? Are they being misled? Because you get by yourself and the enemy can attack and give you all sorts of thoughts and feelings that can be totally against God's Word. It is a serious thing to be doing all of those things. That's the idea of being alert. What is alert, Dennis? What is it? Being watchful. Prayer, Word of God. Witness the good news. Fellowship. Church. Bible studies. I can't harp on it enough. Hope you guys don't mind. You guys, uh, there are many, many faithful here that are very, very faithful. And I thank the Lord for that. You know what? Many will be deceived. There's no safety in numbers here. Many. And I think he means that. Many will be deceived. Joseph Smith, 
Charles Taze Russell, Mary Baker Eddy. You got Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Christian Science. Goes on and on. They can lead people astray. And they have. And then there's the little cults. Then there's all the isms and schisms and all the health, wealth, gospel and such. And they're leading many astray. Mark 13.4, when Jesus speaks of, uh, of this, as, as they ask that question, these things to be fulfilled, if you look in verse 7, I'm skipping verse 5 and 6 here for a moment. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be frightened. You know what he's saying there? There's going to be wars. They're going to continue. There had been wars at that time. There's going to be more wars. There's going to be a lot of things you hear about. The wars are going to continue. going to be more wars. Don't be afraid. A lot of times we hear the wars today and we think, this is it. Um, verse 24, verse 25, But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling. You know, literally stars, it's going to look like that, resembling, but stars can't fall from heaven. Uh, we, in that sense. But the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. They'll see the Son, uh, son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Uh, biblical figures of speech there. But we're talking about coming in uh, judgment. And so there's clearly references here that are simply the destruction of Jerusalem uh, and the temple. But he's also saying the preaching of the gospel will have to be complete and go to all the nations. Then the end will come. And we read that verse 24. In Luke, the account of the Great Tribulation, we have here in verse 19. For in those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. And the nations are going to be involved at this time. When the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, that's what Luke in verse 19, and here, here in verse 19, when Luke says that it will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the gent- uh, times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And I don't think anybody here can say the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. It's, it's going on, isn't it? Times of the Gentiles have been since that 70 A.D. all the way up to now. And even back then, even when Christ was there, they were still ruling over Israel and such. But um, the, the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 is portent. It's an anticipation of the judgment to come that will be not like anything that has ever happened before. And it's dealing with a last day at the time when Christ comes in the clouds. His judgment that will be put. Lord is putting His people on guard. From the beginning of this chapter all the way to the end, we must be prepared. A serious anticipation of the catastrophic events that have happened and that will continue to happen that we see in here. And it's going to involve many people. All the people who have been born and will be born after. But there are a lot of people who have hope. It's Christians. If you're not a Christian, you don't have any hope. Fake hope. It's not real hope. We don't want to be numbered amongst those, do we? Watch. Take care. There's going to be Christ-like figures. There's going to be people that are 
like the uh, people's temple leader Jones, right? James Jones. Simply illustrations with myriads of false Christ, false prophets, on and on. It started back at the time right after Christ. There were many coming in His name saying that. And it has continued on all the way through there. And He will mention this again in this text. Mentioned quite frequently. Um, We get into disaster and I think my time is pretty well getting up. But we'll see how far we can go in this. Disasters found in 7 and 8. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details here because I don't really have to. When you hear wars and rumors of wars, don't be frightened. They're going to continue. Those things must take place. That's not the end. That's not the end. Disciples were going to, to witness that. The early church witnessed it after their time. 200s, 300s, 400s. All the way up the Reformation. All the way from the Reformation to right now. But there's there's interesting uh, feature here. Verse 8, For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. Famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pains. The birth things, right? You know, he's defining the very nature of human experience. This is history. A lot of this is history to us because this has gone on. We wait for His return. Here are the things that are going to go on. It's not going to be all roses here, folks. Jesus says, and and these things are frightful things. Wars, nations against nations, and famines. You know, He says, they would think, okay, the, the kingdom is coming and everything's going to be all beautiful now. It's going to be great, right? A barrage of false Christ. False prophets, wars, disasters, persecution all throughout human history. And it's going to get worse and worse. And then at the, at the very end, the explosion of these kind of things are going to reach epic proportions. Local wars. It's going to be local wars. What things were they saying? What things? False Christ, local wars. The end is not yet. There are always going to be local wars. Verse 8 could be getting into maybe even world wars. Didn't happen at that time. Could be at the the time that we have been in. There was uh, early in the 1900s, right? World War One, then World War Two. We hear of nations getting together like they'd never done before. These are just birth pangs, birth pangs, birth pangs start. But that doesn't mean it's coming now. Uh, all you mothers out there, you know that it it this means maybe more time. Earthquakes. There was a guy by the name of Arnold G. Fruchtenbaum. He was a Jewish Christian and a Bible scholar. And he, he made a report on this in the Encyclopedia Americana. Between the years 63 and 1896, there were only 26 recorded earthquakes. <laughs> First century to 1896. Only 26 recorded. Of course, they didn't have the equipment back at that time. People weren't in every area like they are now. But I do want to tell you that, um, and of course, they couldn't detect earthquakes as, as what we do. But it's an increasing trend. In the first thousand years after Jesus, there are approximately five recorded major earthquakes. Now, remote areas and such, we know. But watch the pattern. 14th century, 157 major earthquakes. 15th century, 174. 16th century, 253. 17th century, 278 major earthquakes. 18th century, 640 earthquakes. The 19th century, a massive jump, 2,119 earthquakes. What about the 20th century? 
nearly 900,000 earthquakes. That works out at approximately one per hour. Famines? We know about famines. We know about the third world nations. We even know about it even here. Not like they do. Just the beginning of birth pangs. First Thessalonians 5, 1, 3 talks about uh, the birth pangs. My, the time is getting away. I knew 13 verses is going to be tough. <laughs> but it was a good dividing point. Um, it's interesting. Women might relate to this. If you go to the hospital because you have birth pangs, and man, this is it, this is it, and you're there much of the day, and they send you home, much to your embarrassment. It's probably happened to many ladies here. <laughs> we know that story. That that happens. That's the way it goes. Birth pains. That's not. And he he compares this whole thing to that. This is the beginning of the birth pains. It's the start of the process of the end of the age that will bring my return, as Mark so aptly puts here. Persecution. Don't have to uh, really talk much about this. It's like he turns to disciples. Be on your guard. They're going to deliver you to the courts. Now, all the church has had this in early church history, but you definitely can see how this is with the disciples. You'll be flogged in all the synagogues. He says the wars, rumors, wars. Here's what's going to happen to you all at the same time. You're going to stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony of them. The gospel, he's sandwiches this in between persecution, says the gospel has to be preached. That's why they're persecuted, because of the gospel, for Jesus' name's sake. He comes back to living. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you're to say. How long to take care of? The Holy Spirit's going to be there. I'm speaking rather fast. But do you see what he's saying? Don't worry. Just do what I tell you. And all this will be taken care of. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. And uh, here we go. Courts, the religious system, the political system. Keep preaching the gospel. Political system is going to be against you. The religious system will even be against you. They were, weren't they? The courts will be against you. 2,000 years after that, the gospel has for all intents now covered the world. It didn't at that time. It didn't in 70 A.D., but it has now. When you take the Gospel out, though, be on guard. And when people hear the Gospel, they might run. When you tell bad news before you tell the good news, they don't want to hear the good news. They hear the bad news, they run. I've experienced that. I continue to experience it. Be alert. Be on guard. Put your armor on. Keep your armor on, folks. This is serious. This is the words of Christ. I'm not trying to put myself into this. I'm just saying, be on guard. That's our word for the day. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Looking twelve and thirteen. We're talking about hatred, brother against brother, father, child, children will rise up against parents, have them put to death. Have you seen that in the news a lot? Have you seen where children have been killing parents? Parents killing children? I never heard of that when I was a kid growing up. I hear it almost every week in central Missouri. I think it's mounting. But I don't want to interpret by my experience, but I really do think it's mounting. Matthew 10, a lot of you are familiar with that. Some of you had uh, your parents turn against you when you became a Christian. It tells about that. Hated by all for Christ's name's sake, John 15, 18, and 19. He warns them again at the, um, the, the Passover. And then he tells them this, and I think this is for all. He definitely tells it to the disciples. They did persevere. You'll be hated by all because of my name, because of Jesus' name. And we'll finish up with this. Right at the end of 13. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. 
Are all Christians saved? Yes. All Christians going to make eternal life and go uh, into the kingdom? Yes. Why do we have an if here? And why do we have ifs in Hebrews chapters 3, chapters 4, chapter 6, chapter 10? We have all these warnings. These are for people who identify with Christ, identify with the Christian name, identify with the church. They Their lives look like they're Christians, but they're really not. And they can't endure. They're just like what the parable that Jesus spoke about where you have uh, the, the, the four soils. You know, the... The uh, the weeds, you have the wheat and the tares and such. Those, the one who perseveres proves that he's a Christian. He will make it to all the way to the end because it's the grace of God that keeps him there. Every one of us, if left to our own, would turn away and be an apostate. We would walk away. But because we are kept by the power of God's Spirit, we will not walk away. We will be on that path and if we don't seem to be on the path, He will take His crook and put us right on the path. We might have a struggle all during that time, but He will make sure. Um, Passages dealing with that, I have to close this out. The testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. It's out of Scripture. The testing of your faith proves the real thing. It proves that you are genuine. You will persevere if you're His. But He commands us to persevere. It's just like sanctification. We are being sanctified because of Him. And in and of ourselves we can't do it, but yet at the same time we have to cooperate with Him in our sanctification. We still are to be obedient. But it's in His power. They seem to contradict. No, they're friends. They go together. Our Lord gives a warning gives us promises. He gives us comfort in this section. If you're a Christian, you're not scared at all. Matter of fact, I love to read this passage because it tells what's going on in our world today. Even right now, what has been going on? He says, it's going to be tough, folks, in this world because it's the world. The prince of the power of the air, he runs it. But God is overall. He's ruling. We have heavenly hope. Heavenly hope. This is the way that the history has been written. This is what God has designed to do till He comes back. Does it help explain what's going on? I hope you took great comfort and had good news this morning. Do not be afraid. Be alert. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. Jesus spoke these very words as the whole Word of God is the Word of God. Christ is the Word of God. We rely upon the very power of Your Spirit. Very difficult passages. But what we can gain out of this is that You have told us things that have happened, things that will happen, and what You're going to do in Your judgment when You come back, and what You will do with Your believers, Your people, Your family will be with You in the kingdom. You will be the temple. And You will be ruling and reigning, and we'll be there with You. Thank You, Lord, for revealing future to us as You have revealed the past. And it's about who You are. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen.